When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Well, it wasn't Freddie Mitchell, but Wentz and Ertz get the job done on fourth and long. And now it is Ertz again, and then he loses the football. It's picked up by Anthony Barr. And Barr will take it back out close to midfield. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Myron Metcalf. And Myron, you are a tremendous journalist who has interviewed thousands of people, would you say, in the in the upper hundreds in your uh, career in, in journalism? Yeah, at least. Yeah, a lot of people. Thanks for the kudos oh, for on what sure. I did to earn it. Yeah, no, uh, well, lots of great stuff that you've written would be what you did to earn okay. it. Um, <laughs> but now here's where I'm going with this, is sometimes, no matter how many people you interview... Somebody that you talk to usually is a special human being. Uh, Athletes who make it to the highest level usually have some reason that they did so because a lot of people are born fast, um, but not everybody has a great deal of success. And sometimes you talk to somebody and you go, man, I'm going to think about that, what you just said for a long time. That that quote's going to stick with me. And and uh, you'd think that everything would have been said to you by this point, but and yet it still happens. And so I was talking with Olin Krutz, the former center of the Chicago Bears, and a guy that I wish John Madden was around to like announce me talking to John yeah. Olin Krutz. You know, I was, was going to call Olin Krutz his big old <laughs> yeah. Olin. He's going to be on the other side, and he's going to be doing you know. And, and then boom, you get that phone call, and then he answers and <laughs> get the telescope. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so the reason I was talking to Olin Krutz of all people who is a six-time Pro Bowler, All-Pro, one of the great centers to ever play, was to talk about Garrett Bradbury and him taking the next step forward. And so Mm -hmm. I've got the Q&A with Olin Krutz at our website, and a lot of people have enjoyed it because what I didn't know about him is I knew he was good at football, and I knew he was an awesome, all-time great NFL name. Those are the two things I knew. Amazing name. did not know the guy is super, super smart, and his breakdown is incredible of Garrett Bradbury's play and how you become a great center. And one thing that he said that really stuck with me that I'm going to think about in sports for a long time was he said that you should focus as a young player on what you do well and not over worry and put too much work into your weaknesses because more likely than not, by the time you're at this point, you're never going to be great at the things you're weak at. So you should try to play to what you do best. 
And Myron, I had a little bit of a mind, like mind blowing type of like, oh, that Epiphany. makes so much sense. Yes. Yeah. So I want to apply this concept to us talking about the Minnesota Vikings in the draft because everything about the draft is always how are they going to fill this position? They don't have any of this. They don't have any of that. Where's their guards? They don't have any corners. They don't have any uh, pass rushing defensive tackle. No. But is there a way, in your mind, Myron, that we could take Olin Krutz's philosophy of the Vikings' strengths that they still have on the roster and strengthen them? Yeah, I don't even know if that's a philosophy as much as that's a fact. And to me, if you're Spillman going into that draft room, that's the attitude you have to have. Like, the defense is going to get worse, right? The defense is going to take a few steps back. You don't have any cornerbacks. Did they call you yet to play cornerback? Is that the next on the uh, my list? My hips because, are not nearly oily Okay, enough. well, well, get in shape because you could be on the list at this point. Uh, you're going to need tremendous seasons again from Daniil Hunter. You're going to need a tremendous season from Anthony Barr. You're going to need a lot of things to happen, I think, to even be uh, a top 10-ish defense. I mean, they're going to take steps back. But offensively, they can still be pretty good. And to me, all this talk about filling these different positions, that's not how you're going to get into the playoffs. To me, you've got to get better with what you have. You've got to give Kirk as many weapons as possible and build on uh, to the Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins, Irv Smith, Kyle Rudolph. Like You've got to add to that. Give him weapons because I don't see another way for them to contend and beat good teams, Kyle, next season, unless they do that. And, and going out and getting a bunch of guys rounds one through seven, trying to plug them in here and there, I don't think that keeps you in the playoff picture. You've got a quarterback you just signed to an extension. I think that's a big part of this too, right? Like when you sign Kirk to the extension, the attitude had to be, okay, what do we have to do to make things better for him and around him? And that has to be the attitude, I would think, going into this draft. But I see a problem with that, Kyler, because to me, you want to fill in behind Stephon Dix. You're not getting CeeDee Lamb, right, unless you somehow trade up. Yep. You're not getting Jerry Judy unless you somehow trade up. So, so how far do you take that attitude and that philosophy? Well, I think that you try to throw multiple darts at the dartboard. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter or heard at all us talking about draft nihilism this week, Myron. Yeah. But draft nihilism is simple. It's no one really knows what they're doing. Some people have slightly better odds at getting good players than others, but there's no team that's been consistently over their history being great at drafting. So what you do is you try to take positional value and players that have certain things that might correlate to success and you throw darts, but mostly no one's really good at it. So you just have to hold on to your butt and hope. And if you draft the right positions at the right time, maybe you've got a better shot. But it's mostly that no one really knows what they're doing here. So my thought on the wide receiver position has been get two of them because then your chances are just better. And I use the example of the Cincinnati Bengals drafting Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones in the third and fifth round one year, and then both turn out to be really good players. But even if just one had turned into a good player, you've hit a home run with that draft. And the Vikings have used it to some extent with wide receivers. Later on, they did the Rodney adams Stacy Coley thing. B.C. Johnson looks like a hit. Dylan Mitchell looks like a miss. Okay, those in the fifth and sixth and seventh rounds. But how about doing that in the second and third? And then if you land one A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, D.K. Metcalf, those type of players turned into instant impact guys for their teams last year. I, I like that philosophy and that attitude, especially 
if you're talking second and third rounds, but is there is there that much of a gap? Like if Justin Jefferson is there, the LSU kid, right, who uh, played really well, uh, was Joe Burrow's top target. Mm-hmm. If if he's there at 22, is that even a conversation? I assume you're going to pick a cornerback there, right? But but if a guy like that's there, is that a conversation uh, with Spillman and his guys? Oh, Would think, you have that yeah, conversation? No, no, no. I think it definitely is. It really depends on who the wide receiver is because I'm draft simming as we speak, and I'm doing a play-to-your-strength draft sim. And I can pick Denzel Mims, T. Higgins, or uh, LaVisca Ooh. Chenault, who is the playmaking wide receiver, who's more of a run-after-the-catch, a Debo Samuel type. Those are the top weapons I can get. Or I can draft Josh Jones the left tackle from Houston. That does not play to my immediate strengths, though. That kind of plays to what I need in the future. So if we're trying to play, let's assume that we feel like weapons around Kirk Cousins is a strength, and how can we make that stronger? And I think that there's some numbers that back this up, by the way. If you look at the teams that have made the Super Bowl since 2016, it's all top five teams in terms of passing efficiency. So if you're saying, mm-hmm. like, let's be a top-five passing efficiency team, how do we do it? Let's say, for just the purposes of this draft sim, that we take T. Higgins. Played at a high level against great players. He did. And then we get to 25, and we've still got other weapon options, including Denzel Mims. We could also take a corner. That's not a strength, though. If we're playing to our strength, do we take an offensive lineman here and, and try to try to boost our strength? I think that'd be a good combination. I think right? so too. Yeah, I think you that know? That's, I think that's a good way to go. So let's just go with because maybe the guy could play guard right away. Let's reach and take Ezra Cleveland, the guy from uh, Boise State. So we've taken already here in our play to your strengths draft sim. You've got a wide receiver and an offensive lineman who's going to start. Let's just say at left guard. Yep. He's a tackle at Boise State. Let's say in the NFL for now, he's at left guard already. I mean, you feel a lot better about where your offense is because you're replacing an outside wide receiver and an offensive line spot that was open, and you hope because the guy's an amazing athlete that he could step right in. So now I am in the second round looking for who can play to my strengths. What, what is our defensive strength? What defensive strength can we play to? Because it's not corner, but uh, it might be linebacker. That doesn't make any sense, though. Is it? Can you apply it to defense? I don't know if it works. Yeah, well, so I think we have to go a little deeper in the weeds if we want to apply it to defense. It's more of what does Mike Zimmer do really well because that's one of our strengths. One of our strengths is that guy and his big brain. And so one of his strengths is making defensive ends out of nothing. So we can assume that they're going to be able to still pressure the passer with their defensive line, right? So would this be why don't we give Mike Zimmer, if we can here, give him – some sort of playmaker, some sort of additional guy that can line up all over the field or is a freak athlete or something like that, and that he can use as sort of his chess piece. Does that make sense? It, it makes sense, uh, but I think actually defensively, you don't have any cornerbacks. You know, like, how important is that? Like, what sort of priority is that defensively? Because I think, I think offense is starting with the foundation that the defense lacks right now which is why I think you can play to the strengths offensively. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's as easy on, on defense. I love the idea of, yeah, you find some freak athlete, plug him in there, hope he's you know, like Daniel Hunter and kind of surprises and shocks everybody. But they seem to have, there seem to be like a personnel issue uh, on the defensive side of the ball yeah. right now in terms of like actually 
fielding a defense at this point and having enough athletes to fill some of those holes. So I think that, to me, uh, I won't be surprised if, as much as maybe they'd like to apply the philosophy you're talking about, that they go with the more traditional Okay, where do we have gaps? Yes. Let's go and yeah. fill those so, first and foremost. There's no question that they will take the approach, or at least I'd be very shocked if it didn't go this way. They'll take the approach of we need to fill corner, we need to fill defensive end, we need to fill this, we need to fill that. But in our play to your strengths draft, if we're saying, okay, your corners are not going to be a strength even if you draft them, C.J. Henderson is not more more likely than not. History says If you draft C.J. Henderson, he's the best corner out there, or a guy who's coming on our show at 3 o'clock, Christian Fulton from LSU, low chance that that guy is an above-average NFL player in his first year, especially without OTAs and rookie minicamp. So that's not going to be a strength no matter what. What veterans are still out there? Who can we plug in that we've already got? Hughes, Holton Hill, can we grab somebody? There's still a number of free agents who are sort of floating out there. Okay, let's plug in a few, like uh, Tremont Williams, right? The the old guy from the Packers. He must be like 37 or 38. But he can still play a little bit. So let's bring him in, put him in. You hope for average play because you're not going to get great play under any scenario here. So you could, though, even if you keep Anthony Harris, draft a guy that's on the board for me right now, Kyle Duggar, who's a freak athlete. He's not yet uh, somebody who has a ton of experience, obviously playing at a high level because he's a small school guy. But he is a crazy freak athlete that you could use in the box. You can use as a blitzer on third down. You can move him all over the field. That's the direction I'm thinking with this if we're going to the play to our strengths draft. I, I, I like that. No, no, I... To me, if that if that's the attitude, uh, finding someone like that, I think would be a, a great move. If you're the Vikings and that's kind of the philosophy you're going to have, I guess to me it's just easier to envision how you do that offensively than it is de- defensively. I just like like to me, you're going to need Daniel Hunter as good as he's been to be just great, right? Again, oh, to yeah, have a chance, you're going to need you need Anthony Barr to be great somehow. Um, but if you can find guys like your Kyle Douglas, guys like that who kind of stand out. Uh, I think versatility is the biggest thing, too. Like you said, a guy that you can move around uh, a little bit because I think they'll have to be that kind of defense, very matchup-based, uh, having the kind of guys that you can kind of move around the field depending on who you're who you're playing. But that defense ain't going to cut into a big deficit. They're not going to save you. Whereas, it, I mean, I feel like in the last – Two three years, there were a lot of situations where that's exactly what the Vikings defense did: is they they saved that team and preserved an opportunity yep. to win against good opponents. Now, Kyle, I think you lose that. Like you lose that. Okay, they'll bail us out here, right? Which yep. is why it's so important, I think, to to add to what they have offensively because that safety net, that parachute is gone. Okay, so I got into the third round in the play to our strengths draft. I took another offensive lineman. Because this is just such a huge weakness that if one of the guys doesn't work out right away, we got to hope the other guy works out right away. So I took Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan in the third round. He might go even higher than that because he's a pretty highly thought of uh, prospect. And now I'm looking at the board and there aren't too many great wide receivers for me to add another one. But I could get Van Jefferson out of Florida or Donovan Peoples-Jones of Michigan. Or if you really want to go an interesting direction here. Cam Akers, the Florida State running back, is here. And 
Now, this this would be really sort of uh, like I would like to call it galaxy brain because of the Twitter meme. But if you think about what San Francisco did rotating their running backs last year, that was really darn effective. And some of those tracking stats have found that uh, in the first quarter, your total speed, whatever height speed you reach, is lower in the third and fourth quarter. Naturally, guys get tired, right? If you have another freak running back that could come off the bench, we saw this a little bit with Alexander Madison, but you could be talking about if you draft one of the best running backs in the entire class, Delvin Cook in the slot. Two running backs on the field at the same time. Like, give yourself, and we do know that Gary Kubiak loves two running backs on the field at the same time. Give yourself all this added versatility by taking a much more talented player who could step in right away than Van Jefferson, who might be a project. I I like that. Play your strength draft. I like that. I'm going to throw out another name since you're talking about the slot. KJ Hill, Ohio State. I don't know if he'll be around. Good player. Good player. But that's a guy who, man, if if you're talking game film, you know, and like yep. his highs are incredible. You know, I mean, not only the quickest receiver in the draft. Yep. Oh, yeah, not the quickest guy in the draft, but that's the kind of guy who, if he's there, those are the kinds of guys you got to get, I think, you know, because he could turn out to be a really good player. Um, but I think that's the weird thing about receiver, too, is when you get a Michael Thomas, everybody goes, oh, my goodness, you know. Of course, right? But how many guys have been drafted who looked the part and it didn't work out? I mean, like to me, quarterback is the most difficult position to project, but how do you figure it out with wide receiver? Like, how do you know oh, what greatness difficult. looks yeah. like yep. at this point, you know, yep. going into a draft? Unless it's uh, Randy Moss running yes. over people at Marshall. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty hard to figure out. So let, let's, let's compare this. So I come away with a wide receiver who can make an impact right away, two offensive linemen that both have a chance to play quickly, a defensive weapon for Mike Zimmer to use in whatever way he wants, uh, kind of the way that they hoped J. Ron Curse would work out, but it seemed that Zimmer and J. Ron Curse never got on the same page, and then a running back who allows you to move Delvin Cook to other spaces. Are you better off with that than you would be if, say, they drafted two corners to fill those spots right away, a defensive tackle, and, let's say, a safety so they could possibly trade Anthony Harris? I think that you are closer (laughs) to winning the Super Bowl with the play-to-your-strengths draft than fill your weaknesses. Play-to-your-strengths draft a 100 times over, 100%. Like That's the way you should approach it. Uh, the traditional route, which is what they'll take, right? You would think that yes. filling the different yes. gaps, that to me moves you closer toward a, a mediocre season. But I, I think you gotta, you gotta go for it. You know, you, you gotta really find those weapons and just say, look, if this team puts together a great offensive unit and they can do that consistently, they're gonna have a chance against anybody. If they can't do that, there's no chance. I don't know defensively that there's anything that suggests this is going to be the anchor of this franchise, that this is going to be the thing where you go, okay, you got to beat that Vikings defense. I don't think that's how people approach this team. They're going to approach it saying, look, we got to stop them offensively. And you want to give them more things to think about, more difficult matchups, more problems uh, when they're facing that offensive unit. And you do that, I think, in the draft. Like that to me should be the attitude. And can Spielman and Zimmer afford to play it safe? Like, don't they have to yeah, go point. with the play, play to your strengths philosophy, considering what they're up against? Well, it really depends on whether they think the play to your strengths draft hurts them in 2021, which it very well may. But, you know, there's here's an interesting stat for you. 
that the Vikings last year had about the worst cornerback play you could get. Like Mackenzie Alexander was their best corner, and he was average at best. Trey Wayne's had a very poor year that we didn't talk about as much because Xavier Rhodes was legit a bottom five corner entirely, <laughs> yes. and should not have been playing. And maybe no. we don't criticize Mike Zimmer enough for not taking him out earlier and just permanently benching him. And yet, in terms of passer rating against the Vikings, finished tenth in the league. Not terrible by any means. They allowed an 86.1 passer rating against. Now, where Everson Griffin plays in is they still had 48 sacks last season, but he only had eight of them. They found their way to 40 other sacks. They could still do that by scheming, by Daniil Hunter, as you mentioned, by getting Anthony Barr a little more involved. And in terms of yards per attempt passing against, they were 10th in the league there, too. I mean, I look at it as... With this cornerbacks, we're going to get obsessed with that, and it's a very, very valuable position. But they were still able to make it up because they have elite safeties, an elite uh, linebacker in terms of covering running backs and tight ends out of the backfield, and Eric Kendricks, and a tremendous pass rush. So if you're trying to just throw corners in there as rookies because this is the capital that you have, um, I, I don't think that that improves that number from what it would be if you just signed two more guys and tossed them in there. So the play to your strengths draft makes a lot, lot more sense for 2020. It's just if you go into two years from now and you still don't have any corners, then you know then it's a lot more difficult, I think, and you put yourself in a position probably where the Packers were where they had to draft two in one draft. But you also have to, in the play to your strengths draft, you have to trust that Mike Zimmer is going to keep doing the thing that Mike Zimmer has done, which is making his talent better. Yeah. Well, it, and and Zimmer can't get to twenty twenty one unless he gets through twenty twenty, right? So I think, you know, the the future is not something that I think the front office or Zimmer staff are focusing on right now. You've got to get better now. I mean, you have a quarterback who signed an extension, but also surrendered his no trade clause, right? So like, there are a lot of things that to me are uncertain beyond this season, and that has to be the emphasis. Why is it so hard? Like what we what you just said in terms of playing to your strengths. Uh, and understanding how much that helps a team in this position, why don't more teams do that? Like, what what is what's the hang up, you know, in the room when you're going through your picks and trying to? And everybody talks about best available, just get the best player. And so many teams don't do that, right? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Like, what's the issue there? I think it's because purely of the amount of pressure that is on these people to explain what they've done to their owners in a way that they won't get fired. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, makes sense. And, and so here's a good example of that. Tampa Bay Buccaneers owner, or I'm sorry, not owner, general manager, said Jameis Winston is not a bust. He he had that quote and said he has tremendous a tremendous-looking future with whatever team, I don't know, and I don't know why any team would sign him to be their backup because he adds nothing as a backup, and by the way, didn't win Anything in five seasons on a rookie contract, which is the dream for everyone, right? You get yeah. the quarterback on the rookie contract and all that. Five seasons, he goes twenty-eight and forty-two. He's suspended for four games in there for, uh, I think, assaulting an Uber driver. Yep. He has one of the worst quarterback ratings of any starting quarterback through that time. Through thirty picks and ruined what was a very good team for you in two thousand nineteen. And the general manager is saying he's not a bust. And, and you had to move on with him for someone who's 42 coming off of a, his worst season ever. And yeah. he's saying he's not a bust. Why is he doing that? Well, he, 
because he's the one who drafted him, and he's trying to make sure he's saying to his owner, see, I didn't draft the wrong quarterback, and we just had a chance to get Brady. That's all it was. Yeah. What yeah. happened was... It's not you, it's me. You know, that's... The, like, what are you talking about here, man? It, the, the pride among these front offices, the pride among these head coaches has gotten so many of these guys fired. Yeah. Like, so many of these guys who just wanted to be right about a guy and couldn't break that emotional uh, tie to their egos has cost so many guys their jobs. And, and to me, in the most cutthroat league in the world, in the NFL, which will fire anybody in any time, mm-hmm. does not legitimately does not care who you are if you're not helping a franchise win. Like, why would you still have those? Like, why are teams still taking sort of this traditional approach uh, to something that, really has cost so many of them their jobs. Well, here I'll tell you one reason is that there are not enough play-to-your-strengths drafts or uh, draft nihilists in the world, in the media, because who do you think the owners read the next day after their general manager has drafted? And, And when the reporters write, and sometimes rightfully so, when they write that this guy that you drafted, well, here's all the red flags that your general manager missed. <laughs> See, that's not believing in draft nihilism, which is it's all luck anyway, and you can use yeah. a great process and still blow it repeatedly. Um, I still think Treadwell was a good process. He just wasn't any good. Yeah, uh, uh, You needed that receiver, but again, the guy just didn't work out. Um, but what your owner is going to read in the newspaper is 50 different stories about how Laquan Treadwell was a massive bust. And then he's going to look at you and go, well, what's wrong with you? Why did you miss that? So a lot of times they play it to kind of the traditional, like, you know, this is what we have to do because this is the football way, because that's what our ownership thinks that that football should be like. And this goes to the fourth down stuff, too. For how long have we been like, guys, the math says that if you're at the 37 with fourth and three, don't punt. But if you don't get it, then your owner's going to call you the next day and be like, yeah, why didn't you punt there? All the media said you should have punted, you know? Yeah. So I think that there's a large element of that that we don't really fully understand from the outside. Quick sidebar. My, my freshman year at Minnesota State, Mankato, we had a new coach. Uh, his first fourth down of his entire career on our 18-yard line, fourth down, he went for it. Love it. Uh, uh, so, but uh, Fourth and what? Fourth and it was like fourth and twenty eight or something like that. Okay, that's different. It was bad. It was bad. Fourth and twenty eight is bad. Went for it. If it was fourth uh, and one, I would have said QB sneak is a ninety percent play. No, no, no. So it was like fight all day long. No, I was like fourth and twenty eight. It was fourth bad. twenty eight. That's but, that's not good at all. But I but I I'm curious. Like so, basketball, which I, I cover more uh, frequently. What's happened in basketball is there has been a shift to where. If you don't understand analytics, if you don't embrace that, like if you're not looking at efficiency, you don't have a job anymore. You know, like your pops have a job like at San Antonio, but like he's like the only guy. Everybody else in that league, if you don't have that switch, uh, you just can't work in the NBA at that level. And the NFL seems like it's it has a lot of that. Clearly, I think it's kind of led the way. But there's still a bunch of Mike Zimmer kind of old school guys who perhaps aren't taking the same approach, perhaps aren't looking at all these other instruments and tools uh, that can help you get better. Like that they're just still relying on the, the eye test, the gut feeling, the things that have, again, cost people jobs a lot. The, what was the gut feeling on Lamar Jackson? Well, he's another, you know, he's a guy who's just not going to be able to play at this level. Like that was completely gut feeling, right? It had nothing to do with the efficiency, how he'd improved as a passer at Louisville. It was all just, I got a hunch. 
and, and I just think it's so dangerous, you know. And I don't think Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, can afford to go into this draft on a hunch or a gut feeling. You have to strengthen that offense. You have to, you know, boost up that offense as much as possible. And guess what, Kyle? If you do that and you're not a playoff team, okay, at least you tried. If you go filling in holes and you're mediocre offensively and you're mediocre defensively mm-hmm. yep. and now you're 6-10 and 10 or 6-11, yep. and 11, that's it. <laughs> that's it for you. If they draft a defensive tackle, I think I'll lose my mind. You know, right? Because <laughs> yes, but you could yes. to- you could totally you could see, see it. Oh, you could see you it. Could totally see yeah, it. You could see it. And there are there is one guy in particular, Javon Kinlaw. If he drops, that Mike Zimmer's not going to let him go anywhere else. And that you know that is the battle that's being fought there. And I wrote about this coming away from the combine because people told me this directly who are in the know that there is this battle going on in the organization between certain people who want to pull them forward in the way that you're describing the NBA has gone and Major League Baseball has gone and the way that Mike Zimmer wants things to be done. And the play-to-your-strengths draft makes so much more sense for competing even in the near future. But ironically, part of the play-to-your-strengths draft is that you need your head coach to coach up his (laughs) defense to also be part of your strengths, and he doesn't want to go that way. So if you acquiesce to Mike Zimmer, you're not going to be better next year or in the future with what he is going to want to do in the draft, which is to get corners. And 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 again, corners have high value, but in this particular situation, it would make more sense, as you've said, Myron, to pump up the offense. So it's this kind of constant tug and pull of, like, Mike, actually, if you coach up the guys that you've been developing uh, and sign a couple of veteran-free agents for almost nothing, it, you're going to be better off, but convincing them that would be very tough. So um, let's take a break. And I have a little bit of Diet Dr. Pepper left here in my can, and I'm going to pour it out (laughs) for the XFL when we return. We'll be right back. You'll listen to Purple Daily here on Score North. Hey, Score North listeners. It's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever. Like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll use it to uh, let you know about one of our partners. Today is the last day you can partner with Score North and the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to help out our area children during the coronavirus outbreak. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Louisa Rise Minnesota Twins jersey, but you must donate by the end of today. To donate, please visit Score North. Dot com keyword donate. That's been your score north download. Now back to Purple Daily. Speaking of which, my wife donated blood and found out that she has uh, the kind that is a universal donor. There you go. Oh wow! So she's going to do that more often now. Is that AB? Oh, oh, positive. Oh, positive. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. I am not entirely positive about all blood types and how they work. Get it? Nope. Okay. Yep. Well, you know what? That's not it's a little, it's my a little blood jo- donation joke. Yep. My joke is not worse than Tampa Bay. Okay, that's terrible. Tom Brady <laughs> has uh, what do you do? What uh, the thing? Copyright. Yeah, copyright has yeah. copyrighted Tampa Bay. 
And I want to run myself through this glass window in this studio every time I say Tampa Bay. I was totally fine with this, Myron, of him going to Tampa Bay and playing for the Bucks, And it was fun to be like, hey, maybe they'll bring back the creamsicles and it'll be a fun division. And now, F this. Tampa Bay has ruined this entire thing for me. It'll never get out of my mind, Myron. Uh, I will never see him on TV or hear anyone say, oh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers without thinking of Tampa Bay, and I hate him for that. Well, listen, if Brady and his company want to do that and file for the trademark, fine. But if that city and fan base adopts that, like that to me will be the thing where you go, come on, man. Like, he'll be there for, what, a year, maybe? We'll see what happens. But to come in and already come up with a trademark, and a terrible one at that, you know, you can do better than Tampa Bay. Who's going to call it Tampa Bay? Like, that doesn't roll off the tongue. Nobody wants to put that on a shirt. But they will because it's Tom Brady. Because Buccaneers fans have been longing for a moment where they could get back on top. They, They may... Do it. Hopefully, work done and Warren Sapp and <laughs> they, some of those guys. Make a statement like yeah, Eric like that. against the uh, Rams logo. Yeah, Brad Johnson. Like, go ahead and let's all make a Brad statement uh, against what has just happened. Go ahead, say say it, Jonathan. Say what you just texted me. Go ahead. I was going to say he should have just gone to Vegas because yeah, there's I no know, terrible puns you can come up with for Brady there. Jonathan wants everyone to sign in Vegas. I do. Okay. Uh, but yeah. uh, that's right. Well, I'm sure they would have come up with something silly for that, but not nothing that could be worse than Tampa Bay. That would yes. be that would be great if the uh, legends of the Buccaneers said we will no longer return as long as people are calling in Tampa <laughs> well, Bay. <laughs> well, apparently, actually, the legends gathered after this season after Winston threw 30 picks and said they wouldn't support the team unless they got rid of them. So I mean, I think is that, that true? Was a, no, it's not true. Oh, it's okay. Joke. I was going to say, well, I mean, I would believe joke. it. Joke. Because, okay. I mean. Killed the joke. You killed you, the joke. But you, you had me buying that one because I could see it. Was it? I was too serious. If, I, I should have been. If I yeah. was a Bucks legend, I would be going to them saying, you know, 30 interceptions <laughs> is bad, right? Did, did you guys you, figure that out? Did you see some of his teammates saying that it was all their fault? It wasn't Jameis's fault? I know. Like just, half of the interceptions were actually on them? Can we talk about real quick? Before we pour one out for the XFL, the mystery of people supporting Jameis Winston, there's zero evidence to suggest this person is good at football. He is one of the worst first overall picks ever. He's not as bad as Ryan Leaf, uh, second overall. He's not as bad as Jamarcus Russell, but he is damn close. He is worse than David Carr or right Mm. in the same ballpark as David Carr. There is no reason at all, to ever talk about Jameis Winston as a good NFL quarterback. Zero. He's done nothing. It's not like he randomly won a playoff game and you go, well, maybe there's something there. And yet I still see he should sign with this team. Maybe Jameis would be exciting with that team. His GM, he's not a bust. His teammates, it was our fault. What? He's horrible, okay? Just because you all thought way back when he was drafted he was going to be a generational talent and you were all proven epically wrong because the guy is not uh, not good at this um, does not mean you need to defend him to the ends of the earth, okay? It's time to admit Jameis Winston is and always has been bad as an NFL quarterback. Oh, 100%. And here, here's my thing is the folks who act like he needs more time. Like this, right, right. This ain't this ain't peewee football. <laughs> this is this is a dude who has had a lot of time to prove that he was or was not an NFL quarterback. Had too much time. Was given more time than anybody else, likely because of the situation he was in, and you know. But this is a guy who's had plenty of opportunities, and he's failed with all of them. But there's still these people who are like, "Well, you just wait." 
What, wait on what? Guys get cut in training camps. Guys get cut in mini camps. Like, what are you talking about? This ain't, this ain't peewee football. Also, let's also remember that Jameis Winston has had some questionable situations off the football. Yeah, that, that's like, beyond being, a, beyond being a, a guy who can't throw an accurate pass, uh, I'm not sure he's a great guy, right? And there have been a number of reports to back up that idea. So I don't get... I don't get the fight for Jameis. I, I get the fight for Cam, you know, because Cam's greatest crime is that, what, he was arrogant? I mean, that's what people think? Or, like, what is it about Cam? I don't know what people have against Cam other than his outfits he won after stuff. games. Exactly. But, like, Jameis, if you're going to get into a camp on a bandwagon, the, the, the Jameis Winston one is certainly not one that I would join. It was weird to me even last year. Oh, well, Arians throws it down the field, and he's got a big arm. Like, okay, well, he's still bad at this. He's still terrible at figuring out how to apply information to live speed without throwing it to the other team. And also, he fumbles constantly, too, and takes a ton of sacks. All the time. This is why he loses all the time. So I just pulled up 2015 to 2019 quarterback rating. Uh, Jameis Winston is 25th among quarterbacks who have more than a thousand throws, and he's tied with our old buddy Case Keenum. Guys, oh, wow. be- guys behind him, such as Mitch Trubisky, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Blake Bortles, Joe Flacco, and Brock Osweiler. Those are the quarterbacks who are like Jameis Winston, and yet he's being defended all the time. <laughs> like, who's just just above him is Eli Manning, who was benched, Marcus Mariota, who was benched, Andy Dalton, who was benched, and Tyrod Taylor, who was benched. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you see the workout video? Yes. Yes, yes. Where like his his uncle or whoever that dude was is like throwing a punching bag. Yeah, and at his head as a punching bag, as, as if that somehow is like an NFL workout he's or an NFL it. drill. Yeah, I don't know. And he still has happy feet. Like yeah. he still is like <laughs> looks unsteady in the pocket. And it's just like in a gym somewhere. Yeah, it really goes to and it, that just even whether it's general managers or media people, no matter who it is, if the consensus is one thing. It takes a really long time to, <laughs> to convince everyone of reality. When you win 28 and lose 42 and are coming off a 30-pick season and people still think that you could be a good NFL quarterback, Yeah. okay, all right. So um, RIP XFL, the XFL announced that they are suspending operations and also, it has been reported that they do not plan to come back in 2021. So. Sad. Short-lived XFL, I will miss thee, Myron. I will miss the XFL because even though most people don't have much appetite for spring football, I watched a lot of these games, and they were good, and they had good stories. Not all of them were good, but they had good storylines, some good players who have gotten NFL jobs since, and I I really wanted it to work. Yeah, and we'll never know. I mean, it didn't really get a chance considering everything that's happened with the coronavirus, and um, clearly leagues like that are the ones that will – will suffer most. Um, and, and I just think, you know, the idea of a secondary pro football league in a world where college kids aren't paid, in a world where it's very difficult to to sort of prove yourself again as a mid-career NFL guy, I just thought there could be strengths there for everybody. Like everybody could have benefited from uh, an XFL that lasted four or five years and kind of became a solid part of our off season, but uh, it didn't really get the chance. You know, all these coaches who were trying to restart their careers, a lot of players. Yeah. And now they, they just won't get those opportunities, not to the same degree. So 
That it, it, it's unfortunate. Um, what the AAF lasted longer. I mean, the AAF didn't have to run into the coronavirus, but right. it's it, it is sad to me because if there's a chance for guys to get paid to play football on TV, I, I, I would like for that to be an option, especially going forward. The idea of college kids maybe saying, you know what, I don't know that I want to give you four years yeah. of my career uh, for a scholarship and a few meals. I think I'm going to make a little money before I go to the NFL. So that, to me, is why it's such a big loss, too. And that's what I hoped that it would grow into. So there were growing pains for sure. I mean, number one, if a guy is a washed-up former Oakland Raiders number 3 quarterback who is 30, don't give him these quarterback jobs. Give them to P.J. Walker and the other guy from the Battlehawks team. I forget his name, but he signed with Kansas City. Guys who might have potential, might have athleticism, but no one believed in them, and they need a chance to go out there and show it. Or someone like Cardell Jones, who's played 12 games since high school and needs an opportunity but has a lot of talent. Uh, I loved that about the league, and I also thought, Myron, like you said, that there was potential, if you show stability for a couple years, to have some top quarterback, a Trevor Lawrence of the future, say, you know what, college football, bleep you, I'm going to go make whatever it is, $75,000, and I'm going to play in the XFL and get better experience with real NFL coaches or former NFL coaches with real guys who played in the NFL. Like, Why not do that instead? And that it maybe could have made some college football coaches nervous eventually, which always pleases me because, yeah. you know, those people. But uh, it's, it's sad that it is going away. And I, I know I saw some people saying, well, Vince McMahon is worth X number of dollars and he should have stuck with it anyway, but probably also losing a lot of money in his, all of his yeah. other ventures as well. So if this doesn't look like it's going to be something that works out, I get it. I just think that there is a place in this world for a product like this. It worked for NFL Europe for a long time, and no other league has really had the capital to make it stick. But I thought you build up a fan base and you could make it happen. And and that was the goal. You know, they they didn't... They didn't have that real chance. I thought, you know, they were sometimes over the top with the in-game interviews, but oh, I thought yeah, it was sure. interesting, you know, seeing things we'd never seen. And there was a game where there was that weird call at the end of the game where the team should have been given another opportunity to mm-hmm. score, and instead, like, they just ended the game. Yep. And, like, the head of officiating was right there in the booth, and they were like, hey, what happened? He was like, you know, the game's over. And they were like, yeah, but you, the game can't be over, you know? Mm-hmm. And he basically just got called out right there on the spot. I mean, we'll never get to that level of sort of real-time transparency with the NFL necessarily, but I do think that that was one of the things that people talked about, like this idea of, yeah, tell us what's happening in the game in that moment. Imagine yeah. the Rams-Saints game, yes. that pass yes. interference call, and like someone with that officiating crew has to talk uh, to the analysts, right, and say this is what happened and why it happened. That to me is how you change a game when suddenly people are put on the spot and they got to answer in, in real time. So I think they did some innovative things. And I think your point about the college kids, yeah, I don't know that you could pay a guy like Trevor Lawrence millions of dollars, right? But now Trevor Lawrence gets to get endorsements. Yep. Trevor Lawrence could be in commercials and yep. get his own shoe. And now he's building up to go to the NFL. That to me is what makes a guy like that at least considerate or another top prospect considerate all the money you can make off the field by being a pro uh, with the NCAA essentially saying, yeah, we're not sure if we want you to make any money. We're the only ones that are allowed to do that. <laughs>
Right. And uh, going around with Sage Rosenfeld's combine, one thing that was a topic of conversation with all the players and personnel people and coaches that he ran into while we were sort of perusing was just how far behind the players are coming out in terms of X's and O's that some of them have no idea how to read a defense whatsoever. And yeah. you get into the XFL, those are real coaches. Those are guys who have been, um, who is the guy? Pep Hamilton was what? Yeah. Offensive coordinator for uh, the Indianapolis Colts. So, I mean, you're talking about people with, um, you know, a lot of skins on the wall in the NFL who can teach you to take the game to the next level. You would want to do that, but not in its first year. You wouldn't want to be the guinea pig. You'd want to be that four or five years down the road when other people have uh, come before you, and so we'll never get to see that happen, unfortunately. So, RIP XFL, you will rise again, and we'll miss you. Um, yeah. A couple other things that I want to get to, Myron, with you is um, the Texans. What? I mean, they just they they, <laughs> move, they move on from DeAndre Hopkins because he wants a new contract to get paid more, and they trade for another very expensive receiver who is half as good as DeAndre Hopkins in Brandon Cooks. And so you essentially traded Brandon Hopkins for David Johnson and uh, or DeAndre Hopkins for Brandon Cooks and D- David Johnson is your deal. And what I mean, it, in what world is that a good idea? Uh, not this world, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that that's just the way they operate uh, in Houston. Old Bill. I mean, that that's just kind of who he is. And like Brandon Cooks to me, let me know if you agree with this, right? Like. The idea of Brandon Cooks has always been so much better than the reality of Brandon Cooks, right? Like, to me, he's a guy who, okay, I understand if if you're the Texans and something you think you're getting the guy who, what, he gets like 1,200 yards for the Rams, and then right before that, a couple thousand-yard seasons, um, I think with Brady. like So he's had some moments, but last year he was kind of average. Uh, but you're giving up a guy who might be the best receiver in football, to get a terrible, maybe the worst running back contract now, other than Ty Gurley's, and and a guy who's definitely not as good as as Hopkins. How do you get how do you get better? How does Bill O'Brien get better? I don't know if he cares about getting better. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me, kind of what what they're doing. And did you hear the Michael Irvin stuff about Hopkins and like what the drama was there? Yes, and then yeah. apparently they were saying that his like baby mamas were hanging around and <laughs> there was a problem with that with the Texans. And, and I, and I saw a tweet that I thought was really important. And I think this is relatable to Stefan Diggs and the Vikings. And the tweet was essentially Bill O'Brien's not in a position to not get along with right. someone like DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Like, I don't care what he has going on. You have to figure that out because that guy is too good for you to have some situation where he's not a part of this franchise based on some rift that you all have. And, I mean, Diggs, clearly there was something there uh, that wasn't vibing with him that he didn't like, which is why he got out of town. But it's just ridiculous, man, to make those moves to get worse and to still have your job all these years later. He's the new Marvin Lewis, right? Like, he has to be. Like, what what are you doing? And why are you still being given all this power to ruin this franchise. Yeah, uh, probably a worse version because he right has even more power than, yeah. than Marvin Lewis. Um, because Marvin Lewis had, what, the ownership situation where their owner 
still makes all the decisions or has final say on the football decisions, which is yeah. really, really weird. That worked for them. Uh, that worked out well. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, when Marvin was there, at least they had some good seasons. O'Brien is, yeah, but I mean, they're the same. You're right. They're the same in that they're sort of mildly competitive, but you never really consider them because they're such a mess all the time. And Brandon Cooks has been a halfway decent receiver, but when the Saints and Patriots and Rams, three pretty darn good organizations, want you away from them, uh, yeah. it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, this is, this is definitely the guy that can replace DeAndre Hopkins. And Hopkins is somebody that can completely take over. I think Brandon Cooks is just a pure, like, run real fast, go deep and catch the ball type yeah. of guy. And, and there's a big difference between what you can do if you have those two. So it looks like Bill O'Brien is completely incompetent. Um, par for the course. We, even when he traded for Laramie Tunsil last year, it's like, for a first-round pick? For yeah. a guy that they looked like they were had to move anyway, and, and uh, so he is the the guy at the card table that everybody can bluff. Yes, I guess right. That, that's why you got to go after Watson right now. Be crazy. Go throw something at him. See you what know, you give for Watson. I mean, they're giving up everybody. Who knows, man? I mean, that's the funny thing about this is someone pointed out like, boy, Bill O'Brien's made a lot of trades. Yeah, because everyone's calling him. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, exactly. hey, Bill, I got something for you, buddy. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, maybe Watson is the only person you can't pry away from, but if there's anyone else left on that team who's good, the Vikings should give him a call. Um, speaking of the Vikings, Judd said yesterday that he thinks he would not be surprised if Everson Griffin actually ended up coming back. That would be uncomfortable since he announced he was leaving already, but Jadavian Clowney doesn't have a job yet. The market has really gone ice cold. I mean, do we think that that is still a possibility? I don't know, man. You got to, how do you correct that? I mean, you announced it. It seemed like it's definitely over. April Fool's. You know, sorry, guys. It wasn't appropriate I, at the time, yeah. but now it is. The, the Clowney <laughs> thing is interesting to me, not just because he didn't have a job, but because he's lowering his asking price. Like, yeah. it's not just the fact that he didn't have a job. It's that he said, oh, by the way, uh, remember that 20 plus million I wanted? I'll take less. You, you know, so yep. what does he hear, you, you know, about the market for him and, so perhaps maybe, um, but that'd be weird, man. That would definitely be weird. You'd welcome it though, right? Like once you get past the awkwardness, my goodness, you take them back. Yeah, and it's not like he, you know, middle fingered them. On no, Instagram. no, no. He said thanks, Vikings. Just, or whatever. It's you over. Look at look elsewhere. But if no one's going to pay him ten plus million dollars a year, then what's the point? You know. Yeah. You should just come back anyway if you're going to get the same amount of money and you live here and this is the organization that supported you through some pretty darn tough times. You know the defense. Very tough. You're not going to have a long training camp. Um, so if that door is still open at all, he did not burn the bridge by any means. I mean, why not, right? Well, and I think, too, I wonder how many of these guys are going, I don't know what this whole pandemic is going to do yeah. to long-term money. And, and what might be out there? Yeah, is it yeah. making owners go, wait a minute? You know, I don't know if I'm going to commit big money at any position that's not quarterback. Uh, so that could be another factor as well. You like, know what I think it is? I think that there's a surplus of people like Everson Griffin that Adrian Claiborne just signed with the uh, Browns. And now teams look much more at pressures than sacks. And Claiborne has a great pressure rate. 
So they might just go, yeah, well, he's out there. There's a few other guys who are out there that sort of lower the price on somebody like Griffin, whereas yeah. you know other positions have such scarcity. There's only a couple, so we've got to sign them right away. You know, guards. There's like one guard every year in free agency, and the guy makes yep. a ton of money, but nobody else gets any. Uh, with defensive ends, there's just a lot, and I and I think teams also are looking at some of the huge defensive end contracts. Even someone like Khalil Mack, he's unbelievable. But you put yourself in a pretty darn tough position when you pay a defensive end twenty mil. It's like it's reached its its breaking point of how much yeah. you could pay somebody at that spot. Yeah, this would be the second guy to say just kidding. Anthony Barr a year yes. ago, yeah, that's and now right. you get Griffin to go. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I didn't sell my place. Uh, I'm going to come back. What do you all think? That's right. Yeah, I'm good. Hey, well, Mike, I'm in town. Uh, you want to talk? You want to have lunch? I mean, considering that they don't look like they're trying to tank or anything for 2020 yeah. that they want to make the playoffs. They want to be competitive. Then you just take someone like that back and you know, you figure out how to work the money. But if it's a two year deal with a lower cap hit the first year, I, I think you can make it work. So anyway, Myron, this is fun. It's I, fun, man. I like the play to your strengths draft. I'm going to do I more do. play to your strengths drafts in the draft Let's, sims. I, I'm going to do a draft sim. How about that? Next week I'm coming with the draft. Okay. Sim. All right. I'm excited. Do you know how to okay. do draft sim? I'm going to learn between now okay. and next week. I will help you out. You send okay. me a message if you need help. I'm very experienced. All right, Meyer Metcalf of ESPN, appreciate your time. When we return, Christian Fulton, uh, he is the LSU cornerback and should be on the Vikings radar. We're going to talk to him next about the draft process, how it's been thrown off, and what his prospects are for draft night. When we return here on Purple Daily. We could all use a little help while quarantined, and thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register, and you could be a winner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. And this one's going to be intercepted by Christian Fulton. That was a misread. It was zoned all the way. He didn't see it. Tried to stick it into Thomas, number two. But Fulton, who just made the defender play on the long pass, baits the quarterback. Watch him come up here and then break on the ball. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad here in studio. And joining us on the line from LSU and one of the top-ranked cornerbacks in the upcoming NFL draft, Christian Fulton. What's up, Christian? How are you? Uh, not much. I'm doing, I'm doing good. How you doing? All right, so uh, our producer Jonathan tells me that you were on a call with a team just now. Explain to me what that process is like. And I know that you don't know anything different because this is your first time going through it, but uh, everything has changed for these teams in the way that they're meeting with draft prospects now because of the coronavirus. So what was that experience like for you, or what has it been like meeting with teams through what Zoom or FaceTime or Skype or whatever way you're doing it? Uh, it's, um, it's cool, I, I guess, you know, uh, I mean, definitely, you know, it would have been better to, you know, get to the facility and meet everybody, but, um, uh, everything's been going good so far, you know, just, uh, you know, keep getting to know each other, you know, uh, a little bit more, you know, just from the combine, uh, and then, you know, being able to talk football, you know, uh, still, um, so it's been, it's been really good for me. 
So, Christian, in your you know college career, you come off of a national championship. Uh, you put up tremendous numbers. I don't know if you look at things like pro football focus for how many times you were targeted versus receptions and things like that, but your numbers are through the roof. And then you go to the combine, put up a 4 four six forty. So what are the questions about you that the teams want to know? Like, what else do they need answered about Christian Fulton? Uh, I mean, I feel like... Uh... I feel like I know, and they know that you know I answer you know all the questions that they um that they have for me you know at the combine really. Um, the only thing they you know that they want to know is you know is me being able to you know play inside or play outside you know whichever they need me to do. Uh, they all you know like to see if I had that versatility, which I which I do have you know, and um, I think they see that on the film you know uh, the film speaks for itself for me. So. Uh, I mean, most of the questions I feel like were answered, you know, uh, for the most part. Christian, take us through some of the fundamental differences as well from the two spots, because I think fans assume the cornerback position is at the cornerback position, but there seem to be a lot of differences that are required uh, playing inside versus outside. So just take us through your expectation and what those differences can be in being in the slot as opposed to the outside. Just knowing the slot, you know, it's more more sale for uh, the receiver to uh, work with. Uh, you literally get almost anything uh, in the inside. Uh, you got uh, option routes. You got guys that are uh, faster in the uh, slot. So it's uh, different ways you uh, you can kind of play them. Uh, can't, some guys, well, my experience, we didn't really press the inside. So just playing them off, you have to have, you know, a great technique. You know, uh, have kind of have – I already have an idea of what you're going to get in the inside, you know, so uh, just based off formation and alignment uh, helps me a lot in the inside, you know, going against a uh, slot. Uh, outside, you know, you know, I'm pressed most of the time, so uh, it kind of helps me, you know, take something off the route, you know, getting hands on the receiver. So that's just uh, I would, I would say the difference is for me. Talking with LSU cornerback Christian Fulton. Uh, uh, Christian, playing in the, some of those press situations, you face some of the best wide receivers, some guys that you're seeing as uh, you know top draft picks, maybe even like Jerry Judy, the guy who's expected to go number one. Tell me what you've learned over the last two years playing at, against the high level of competition and, and how you've gotten better seeing those great wide receivers playing at LSU. Uh, really, just being uh, you know ahead of the game, you know, it's all about the you know preparation going into that week. Um, you know, you're going against great receivers, and um, they had the ability to make great plays. So uh, just finding uh, techniques, you know, that'll help me, you know, for the game throughout the game, you know, and having a plan going against those guys, I feel like that's gonna help me uh, a lot in the long run. You know, going into the NFL uh, as far as studying a receiver um, and what can I do to you know slow him down or shut him down. So what's your study process uh, like right now? I'm sure it'll change when you get in the NFL and you meet a lot of guys who have had a ton of success. Uh, should you become a Minnesota Viking? There's a guy named Harrison Smith that's uh, you know put together a, almost a Hall of Fame career at the moment who's you know one of the most impressive guys I've been around in terms of X's and O's. But what, what's the process like for you in terms of uh, your tape study right now, and what do you hope to learn as you go forward? Um, just, um, so you mean like as far as like going against a receiver? Or? Yeah, just like what? what's your process? I mean, th- on a weekly basis, what are you looking for, yeah. you know, tendencies and, and things like that right now? And, and where do you hope to get better even in that process and learn more from NFL guys? All right. Um, 
so uh, for me, you know, just uh, one big thing with me is, you know, studying releases of the receiver. Uh, that that tells me a lot, you know, uh, whether it's going to be a deeper route or it's going to be a short route, you know, RPO route. Um, that's that's big for me. I have study. Uh, then know who I'm going against, you know, what type of threat is he? Uh, is he a third down guy? Is he a deep third guy? Uh, just knowing who you're going against, I feel like those things are helpful for me. Uh, just studying, you know, uh, what they like to run on certain down and distances. Um, those things, you know, are very, very helpful for me. Uh, and just going forward, you know, like you said, the guys that's been there a long time, it's a reason they've been there. So just picking their brain, you know, uh, see what they've been doing, you know, to keep them in the lead this long and what's helpful, you know, that's going to give, uh, you know, not just me an advantage, you know, but um, the whole secondary and the whole defense, you know, that we're all on the same page. So that's mainly what I'm looking forward to, you know, just picking a uh, veteran's brain, you know, and uh, seeing what he can give me, you know, add more tools to my game. Which receiver, Christian, are you the most excited to face? Most excited? Yeah, who, uh, who are you have probably been watching for a long time and, you know, just as far as excitement goes about when you line up across from this yeah. person? Uh, I mean, got to go with probably – Odell, uh, Odell, you know, Julio, those guys, uh, they're the top guys in the league, you know, and you see them, you know, putting on a show every week. Um, so it's definitely, you know, going to be fun, you know, once we line it up against them for sure. Of course, you mentioned the SEC guys. I'm not surprised with that. Um, you know, I, w- I, w- <laughs> I, w- I was wondering, Christian, you know, you're a New Orleans guy, and I had my first trip uh, to cover a game in New Orleans to cover the Vikings playoff game. And I will say that as much as Minnesota food is okay, I have never had better food in my life than the restaurants I went to in New Orleans. How are you dealing with that right now? Are you are you still in New Orleans right now? And how are you dealing with staying in shape, eating the right way, and also missing the great New Orleans food? Right. <laughs> Uh, it, it's not it's not that hard uh, for me, you know. Uh, my dad, you know, he's he's a cook, so uh, mm. he he cooks everything, you know. So uh, I'm I'm always eat good, be able to eat good, even though when everything is shut down. But uh, but currently, I mean, I'm in Baton Rouge, you know, um, doing a little bit of training, you know, just running, doing a lot of running, staying shape, uh, a lot of core work, and some uh, DB drills, you know, just to stay in football shape. Obviously, uh, also, um, you know, just um trying to uh, do everything as best as I can, you know, to stay safe, stay healthy, you know, and not putting others in, um, in harm's way. Uh, it's definitely, you know, a difficult time, but, you know, just trying to make it work as best as I can. Well, I know someone like you has to focus on eating the right way. I do not. So when mm-hmm. I went to New Orleans, yeah. I just ate everything, <laughs> and it was the best. Um, you know, so uh, Christian yeah. Fulton from LSU we're talking with uh, right now. And, uh, you know, I, I'm interested, Christian, because I play in a rec league basketball, and, and we were a 500 club, so we were nowhere close to a championship. You won a national championship. It's almost the same thing. Um, so I, I, I wonder what was the most fulfilling thing about that, to win a championship. There's so few people at any level of football that get that opportunity and to play on such a great team uh what was it like for you to to actually come away with that win uh it was it was special uh, it was a great feeling you know uh, just you know just watching them every year i, I can remember watching the national championship every year for since i don't know maybe 2010, 2011, and uh, it was just everything that I dreamed that it would be. Uh, just I remember I had tweeted, you know, uh, you know, just wanting to play in the national championship one day, and I was able to do it. 
And it, I still can't, you know, actually really describe the feeling mm. because, you know, it's uh, so much that go into that, you know, years of work, not only that you've done, but everybody else on the team done. Right, and you, you played with so many guys, and I was just uh, wondering if there's somebody – on LSU's team that's coming out for the draft. Obviously, you know Burrow, he's very likely going to go number one. Uh, Jefferson is a guy that I'm sure the Vikings have their eyes on, too, for a potential first-round draft pick, and there are others. Is there somebody who is a teammate of yours who you were the most proud of to see succeed and to now see coming into the draft process? Um, yeah, uh, let me see. Uh, definitely... Uh, I'm gonna go with you know Justin Justin one of them for sure mm-hmm. and definitely uh, uh, one of our receivers where well, he was a tight end uh, Stephon Sullivan. Uh, just I'm I'm very excited for those guys. You know I felt like they're being uh, kind of underappreciated. I would say mm-hmm. in this in this draft class. You know they put up some great things on film and they're great people uh, at that. So uh, definitely you know excited for those guys. They, they're special, I, I believe. Well, Christian, we wish you the best. It's, uh, I, I think, a possibility considering the Vikings' situation at corner. They don't have any. So that, uh, that you'll be on their radar and maybe we'll be meeting in person at some point. So, uh, Christian, we wish you the best throughout the rest of this draft process. And uh, we'll see you, uh, I guess, maybe on FaceTime or something on draft night. Are, are you one of the players that they're putting TV cameras in your house or something? Uh, yes. All right, so then... Well, I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but... Yeah, <laughs> neither are we, and probably neither are they, Christian. So, uh, well, we will definitely see you on TV at very least then. So I wish you the best, man. Good luck. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yep, for sure. Take care. Christian Fulton there, LSU corner. And... uh Definitely a guy that the Vikings could be looking for. I was scrambling trying to find his exact numbers when other teams threw at him because I was going to tell him he can feel free to use the stat, but I, my computer has been a little jogging. I bet he's today. got it. Don't, yeah. don't you think his agent has that probably? If, well, if he doesn't, then I can help him out. I can be his new agent. Um, I'll look for it. So I'll if he can it. play against the slot as well as outside, too, that's intriguing. He is an intriguing guy for me. Now, I've liked A.J. Terrell, who comes from Clemson, as a Zimmer type of corner. But when you're looking for corners, guys who have played against the best competition, hands down, win a national championship, mm-hmm. and strikes me as a, as a pretty bright guy, the way that he broke down how he faces against wide receivers and things like that. Um, I, I enjoyed listening to that breakdown from Christian Fulton, and he's a guy who shows up very regularly in my draft sims, and uh, yeah, I know, but also in the mocks. Not to be confused with your draft dreams. Now, <laughs> now, what's interesting about him is that you know some mock drafts have him as low as like sixty, which in my mind is pretty weird for a guy who excelled at that level, playing at LSU, playing against the top wide receivers, and somebody tweeted out his numbers against T. Higgins and Jerry Judy, and they didn't do anything against him. <laughs> that that's pretty darn impressive. Um, because LSU wasn't just Joe Burrow, you know they were a complete yeah. team, maybe one of the most complete teams that I can remember in recent memory that just blew everybody away, and uh, so he was a major part of that. Well, I guess we'll see. Um, but that was great to have him on. Jonathan did a great job setting that up, and we're also going to have Antoine Winfield Jr. at some point. Is that next Monday, Jonathan? Yes, Monday. Okay, great. I'm really looking That's forward. That's a versatile to Antoine player. Yes, very much so, and I want to ask him about that. Uh, so, Judd. Well, I've got you here. Daniel House will join in a few minutes to actually talk about Antoine Winfield Jr. He mm-hmm. covers the Gophers for us at our website, scorenorth.com. Uh, two things I'm curious about. You, why don't you just pick which one you want first? Okay. I want 
either your opinion on the play to your strengths draft or uh, whether you think Roger Goodell is blowing smoke by saying that he thinks that they'll play games on time. Which one would you rather talk about? You know what? Let's go with the first one. Play to your strengths. All right. So Myron and I came up with this concept, Mm -hmm. the play to your strengths draft. It goes completely against what you think should be the right way to draft. But the Vikings are in a pretty unique position where they're still trying to win as well as rebuild. So the general way that we all think of drafting is you draft the players that you need, the positions that are open. Okay, they don't have any corners. So here's an idea. Draft some corners, right? This is the complete opposite. So erase that idea from your brain and only draft things that you're already good at and want to get better at. Okay. So the Vikings are good at passing the football and they're good at running the football. How can we make them better at passing and running the football? You can do that by drafting a couple of guards who could fill in right away, uh, a tackle potentially for the future, but maybe somebody if there's somebody that you think could play right away. Sure. Or you can draft wide receivers. Or how about this for the mind-blowing idea? You could even draft in the third round another running back who's a dynamic, explosive player to mix in the backfield with Delvin Cook or even move Delvin to the slot at times. Mm -hmm. You play these people in different positions. You use them in creative ways. And if you look at the thing that gets overlooked with San Francisco is they had three running backs that they used all the time. And so, yeah, the bell cow is great. But it's also great to have more talent. I'm not saying draft a running back in the first round, but if there's a great one in the third round, I'm saying add to your weapons yeah, on offense. And then you. and then on defense, yep. you give Mike Zimmer one of those players who can do a lot of different things. An athlete, a, a rover, somebody who can line up in a lot of different spots. <clears throat> Antoine Winfield right. Jr., yeah. right? And in our play-to-your-strengths draft, we took Kyle Duggar, who's an athletic freak, doesn't really have uh, the experience to start at safety right away, but you could put him in the box. You could line him up, play a man-to-man with tight ends because he's tall and he's freakishly athletic. And so, and so now in that world, Harrison Smith and this new guy are both basically multiple players. Yes, exactly. So now it's a nightmare if you're the OC because you have to be ready for two guys that you don't know exactly what they're going to do. And what you do is you fill in the positions of need uh-huh. with just off the scrap heap whatever's left on the free agent market. And so this this sounds like a terrible idea, but when you think about it, um it, you know, not filling needs. It just goes completely against how you would normally think of the draft. The draft is all about filling needs. Sure. But if you're thinking about 2020, guess what's not going to get better even if you draft them? The cornerback play. More likely than not, it's not getting way better. You're still going to need your linebacker to play great. You're still going to need your tight end, or, or I'm sorry, your um, your safeties to play great. That's how you're going to stop the other team's pass and with pass rush and creativity from Zimmer. Playing to your strength also means Zimmer's scheme. So give him... You know, basically put the onus on him and say, play to your scheme and play to your strength and then put everything you possibly can around Kirk. And then, okay, so there's a few guys that are still out there. Uh, I'm looking at the free agent list right now. The uh, guy who used to play for the Bengals, Denard, I'm not sure about the pronunciation of his first name, but he didn't sign a contract he was supposed to sign. Mm-hmm. Eli Apple. Yeah, he, Kirkpatrick. something happened with him and the Raiders. Yep. And yep. they backed out. Yep. Prince of Makamura, Tremaine Johnson. <laughs> I like, liked Prince at one hey, time. These guys, Morris Claiborne, they can play a little. 
Traymond Williams. They could play a little. Jonathan Joseph. I'm not saying they'll be shut down corners, but are they going to give you in the first year, Brandon Carr? Are they going to give you just as so much who, as who a rookie? Who are your two first-round picks in this scenario? So they were uh, T. Higgins and Ezra Cleveland. Ezra Cleveland's the freakishly athletic offensive lineman that could possibly play guard right away. Okay. Probably could move inside. And then T. Higgins at wide receiver. Then we drafted uh, Kyle Duggar and another offensive lineman, Cesar Ruiz, and then uh, Cam Akers, the running back from Florida State. Boy. All right. If you're the Vikings, I'll ask you this question back when we're talking about the philosophy of what to do in the draft. What is your goal or your thought process about 2020? Like, how good do you expect to be? Well... I think you got Kirk back, so you clearly expect something. That with the NFC North with a lot up in the air, yep. you expect to be a playoff team. And there's seven playoff teams. Here's the other part of this, though. That what the play-to-your-strengths draft does is it fulfills you in one way. If you give Kirk two rookie guards who are both really high talent, and let's say that they fill in and they do an admirable job and they can get even better, mm-hmm. a receiver to strengthen his weapon group, Another running back to free up Delvin Cook to line up all over the field and be that that uh, Christian McCaffrey like weapon. I actually love this idea, and we know he's capable of. And I love the idea. And then there's another guy who could do stuff too. Like it's not a bad idea to have more people that you can just give them the football and make plays. Here's what you'll know by the end of this: maybe you don't win the Super Bowl because your defense isn't good enough. That's Mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. But if Kirk Cousins excels and wins 11 games in a season where a lot of people thought they were going to win seven, and he leads a top-five offense because he's got so many damn playmakers he doesn't know know what to do with the football. And we know he's a guy that will throw it where it's supposed to go no matter what, by the way. He's not going to run around and look for his number 1 receiver. He's going to throw it where it's supposed to go. Then here's what you know about Cousins. You go into 2021 and you improve that defense even a little, then you're a legit contender again just like that. And you stick with all those offensive weapons, and you know that Kirk can do it. Does Gary adjust his philosophies enough to excel in and accept what you're talking about, too? So here is because why, the Delvin, the Delvin yeah. movable Delvin idea. I've always loved that the idea. Delvin, me too, a lot. I mean, some guys can't do that, and some guys can. And I would think that there's a very strong case, and we've seen it to be made that Delvin Cook fits the movable role, the multiple role, really well. Yes, and in 2018 against the Lions, they put him in the slot and they ran a bubble screen with him. They threw him the ball. He was one block away from scoring a 40-yard touchdown, and they never did it again. And the same season, they line up Delvin Cook, and this is where I wonder how much Zimmer interfered. They line up Delvin Cook at receiver, and he ran a slant route against a linebacker, burned the guy, and I think caught a touchdown or something like that. Sure. 20-yard catch. Mm -hmm. And never did it again. And and so I've always thought he was a guy that could line up outside. I remember talking to Jimbo Fisher, I think, uh, about Delvin Cook maybe a year after he had been drafted, about his recovery and stuff, and he said, like, they should be lining him up all over the field because he can do just about anything. I love that idea. More playmakers, more guys who can get the ball in their hands and do something special. If you come away with a 7-9 season in the 14th-ranked offense still, then this is just never going to work. Mm-hmm. That you have answers. At very least, you have answers. If it goes completely wrong, then you know that it's never going to be good enough. And with Gary, kind of the same thing. But what 
would give me hope about Gary making adjustments is, A, he worked with Stefanski that did a lot of things that were a little bit different than Kubiak in the past. Also, when Peyton Manning was his quarterback, he just ran Peyton Manning's offense, and he was okay with it. Yes, he did. Says, it, pretty darn smart. Says something about your common sense of Oh, right, exactly. Yes, yes. Well, and, and football people, or a lot of football people, hate to adjust, but the ones who do are often very successful. Because yes, the, yes. the ones who don't use the great phrase, I've always done it this way, often find success, and they change. One one yes. prime one prime coaching example of a guy who saved his job and actually had success because he altered things was Tom Coughlin. Yep, you know as yep. hard headed and and hard nosed as Coughlin could be, he finally got to the point where the players were like, "We can't play for you. You are a tyrant." And he's like, "Okay," and he backed off yep. and changed things. Yep. And guess what? Found success. Mm-hmm. So if Gary, yeah, if Gary, if somebody got to him and said, "All right." What you do is still really good and smart, but but let's take Cook and let's do this, this, and this. And if Gary says, yeah, that's fine, he's got a good chance. I just don't know. The question that I've been grappling with, Matthew, the last week, and I can't figure out for the life of me, is what is the expectation in that building realistically? Mm-hmm. I just don't know yet. Well, And here, here would be my thought, though, in terms of the in the building and mm-hmm. what I don't know but we're going to find out is if if you're the front office are you arguing for the play to your strengths draft and Mike Zimmer is saying give me my GD corners <laughs> like right is that is that is that what's going on well, there's no doubt that Zimmer wants his corners I'll throw right? this back what's Gary saying and what type of power does Gary have does Gary care I would guess he cares I would guess he cares he took this job exactly and and I would guess also when Mike went to Gary and said, Kevin is leaving, please take the OC job, that Gary said, I would think, I'll take it, but, right? But I need this, but right. we need to do, I can't I can't believe that Gary said, I'll take the job, and Mike, whatever you want to do personnel-wise, you do, it's fine. There's no way, right? Right. So Gary has to have, have some skin in the game of, and clearly, we'll give he, you this to be successful. He did last year. I mean, he, yeah. he had an influence last year. I, I think that uh, if you trust yourself, if you're Zimmer, this is something that would really be interesting to challenge and, and discuss even with Mike Zimmer. Will, will he ever talk to the media again? I don't know. Uh, but uh, And he's probably not going to discuss what you're going to bring up, but go ahead. Yeah, I know. But off the record, over Diet Dr. Peppers, I would love to ask Zimmer, <laughs> do you believe yourself that you can scheme your way to a top five defense? Without getting these draft picks, because the entire Zimmer era, as brilliant as he has been schematically, and we've seen it play out at U.S. Bank Stadium and elsewhere and in New Orleans, as as great as that was, Harrison Smith is a borderline Hall of Fame player. He puts in five more years like this. He's going in. Mm-hmm. Rhodes, for a time, is the best shutdown corner in the league. Hunter is the best pass rusher, whatever, top seven pass rusher. Everson Griffin might be better than him in his prime. You have... Anthony Harris emerges as a star. Linvel Joseph in 2017 is the best nose tackle in the NFL. All that talent, and yeah, you could be a number one defense combined with great scheme, but can you scheme your way to being above average? Because if you have a great offense and an above average defense, you can win. If you have an above average defense and a bad offense, we've seen that. You go 8-7-1. and one. Here's my guess on the answer to your question. If you could get Mike to answer the question, which you can't. My guess is he would say no. 
he would say, my scheme is great, but I need certain components. Where I think he would, where I think you're right, and he would take issue with what you just said and disagree fully is, I think that in his mind, there's a way to trick this thing up, and I think he's wrong, but I think in his mind, there's a way to trick this thing up backwards, going defense and offense being good. But this is where this is where Mike is flawed now in 2020, and it takes such an interesting turn in the conversation that we're having. It's this one. He really does believe in his heart. If we run the ball and run clock and score some touchdowns, score some points, right? But if we run clock and my defense can rest and then dominate, we can win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, do I think yeah. that's flawed? Now, do, yep, do, it is flawed. Do I think in 2001 that's a viable conversation? Probably is. Different game. Different game to a certain degree. You did different things. Yeah, except the best offense is still sure. the Super Bowl pass, passing offense. But, but, I, yes, but I, I think it's it. more flawed now. Yeah. I don't I don't think that you can win a Super Bowl doing things the way Mike thinks you need to do things. What every team that doesn't have Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady tries to tell itself is we can be the 2000 Ravens. And we can run and play to, yeah, well, that team. Uh but that's what they try to tell themselves. Right. How much you believe it Jimmy Garoppolo should be evidence and so should Jared Goff of this that when you are in an NFC that has now, two elite quarterbacks, but they're both almost as old as you. Uh, that you can take a quarterback who's very good and put him in the position to get there if a lot of other things are great. And defense usually has to be one of them. But the 49ers had an offense that was explosive enough to go into New Orleans and win 48-46. I don't think you would get in that conversation unless you have an elitely efficient passing game. And then a, a great running game certainly helps. But if you have an elite passing offense, you've got a shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the Atlanta Falcons were up 28-3 in the Super Bowl with a defense that was 28th in the league. And there they were, right there in the Super Bowl in a position to win. And Tom Brady pulls some stuff that is insane and they choke it away. But you can get there, I think, if you have an elite offense and not an elite defense, if you can scheme your way to a win in the playoffs. So... I would love to know if Zimmer believes in himself but San, enough. But but San Francisco's head coach knows that. Yep. Like his defense does. was and really so good. Los Angeles but yep. he knows he's not trying to to purposely work this backward. Mike is. Yep. Because because Mike came here in 2014 with the edict to what? Shut down Rodgers, shut down Stafford, shut down Cutler. And he did to a certain degree at different times. But he came here with that with that idea of how to work success. Yes. Shanahan and McVeigh know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And there's a ceiling on that type of success unless you're the outlier and you're the two thousand Ravens or two thousand fifteen Broncos, but it doesn't happen a lot. All right, let's take a break and we come back. We're talk we'll talk to Daniel House. Uh, he covers the Gophers football team for us, and there's a couple players who are very intriguing and show up in literally every draft sim that ever gets sent to me. Uh, he will be on next to talk about Tyler Johnson and Antoine Winfield Jr. and their draft prospects when we return on Purple Daily. Join Score North tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app for Loon Night in Minnesota. The MLS season may be temporarily on hold, but that doesn't mean we can't support our loons. Grab your favorite scarf, put on your best kit, and join us as we replay Minnesota United's very first home game at Allianz Field against New York City FC tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app. 
Jonathan here with the Score North download. This download powered by Pod MN. Today is the last day you can partner with Score North and the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Mid- Midwest to help out our area children during the coronavirus outbreak. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Louisa Rise Minnesota Twins jersey. But you must donate by the end of today to donate. Please visit scorenorth.com keyword donate also over at scorenorth.com right now. Matthew Collar has a Q&A with ex-Bears center Olin Krutz who breaks down how Garrett Bradbury, the Viking center, can make the next step towards becoming a good to great NFL center. So go check that out over at scorenorth.com. It's completely free and also on the free Scorenorth mobile app. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Judd Zelged. We welcome in our friend. He writes about the Gophers for scorenorth.com, Daniel House. All right, House, tell me, Antoine Winfield Jr., can he play everywhere, do everything, and should he be in every draft sim ever done? He should be in every draft sim ever done. Versatility is <laughs> unbelievable. He can play the deep half, come down into the box. I mean, any coverage scheme you're looking to play, honestly, I could see him projecting as a safety, moving into nickel, playing primary outside corner, uh, a dime hybrid role. I mean, anything you need this guy to do, the Minnesota coaching staff maximized him by really using him in a lot of creative ways, blitzing him and using him as a cover one robber occasionally. Like, there's nothing this guy can't do. What's the top concern? Size? If that? I would say size is... Size is the big thing that's the major concern of the most. But, like, when you look at his relative athletic testing scores, I know one person I talked to around the league was like, I wonder what he's going to test, if he's going to be close to his dad in testing. And actually it turns out he was pretty dang close. Uh, with a 7.85 relative athletic score, and his dad was 9.34 in the relative athletic score. So the big difference in that was the size. So clearly that's one of the areas, but – uh, when you compare it to Tyron Matthew, who had a 3.94 RAS, and Earl Thomas, who had a 5.07 RAS, uh, Winfield Jr. is in a really elite tier when you compare him to players with comparable skill sets. So, uh, Daniel, this is where I, I wonder how he fits in with the Vikings, because the Vikings have nobody in the secondary outside of their safeties. We still don't know what's going to happen with Anthony Harris. But should the Vikings sign Anthony Harris to a contract extension? Does it still make sense with someone with such a great athletic profile? Uh, I don't know if he's a pure nickel corner or not, if he could do that, but to even have someone with the versatility that you describe and Harrison Smith getting older in age, I still don't dislike the idea if they sign Anthony Harris to an extension. Yeah, I feel the same way because Zimmer loves these types of defensive backs that he can move all over the place and use in creative ways, and Winfield checks all those boxes. I mean, his football instincts are unreal. I, I think about the Fresno State game with the game-winning interception that he had, and they ran a wide throwback. The quarterback rolls to his right and throws all the way across the field. Winfield's between the hashes, turns, and makes the play. And he was telling us about this, and he said, I noticed a formation, a tendency from earlier in the game. They ran a similar play with a running back wheeling through the seam, and they're stretching the seam with the tight ends the entire game. So he saw a tendency from earlier in the game and, and applied it. You just see so much of that. With Zimmer's defense, even if they decide, okay, tag Anthony Harris, play out the tag, and and decide that that's the way they want to go, Winfield could take that spot. Or like you said, with Harrison Smith getting older, 
Uh, he's a guy they could groom and for right now use his versatility to play a couple different positions. I'd honestly, I think it would be an awesome fit. I, I would probably, if it was up to me, start him in the slot too because I, I think, he, you know what, he reminds me so much of his dad. The one thing that Junior has is I think his, I think Junior is a little bit more athletically gifted than his dad, but if you watch the intelligence and smarts, and the thing is, they're small guys, but they hit, and they are essentially, to me, hybrid cornerbacks, linebackers. So if you gave me a choice of where that kid could potentially start day one with his football smarts, I think the slot, he could actually do it, which would be an incredible thing because that's tough to do. I totally agree with that. Seeing him play the way he did out of different multiple position groups, I feel like he could totally thrive in that role. And when you watch him in run support, you do see shades of his dad like coming up and just hitting someone really hard. I remember the Purdue game. He was just really thriving in run support. Not only that, but I just think, that, like you said, the football IQ with his dad. I mean, he. I remember interviewing Antoine a few years ago, and he talked about he'd watch all of his dad's film, and they'd even do virtual chats together. Uh, after practices or games, and they share different ideas and things like that. So he's all about the game of football, and his dad was always talking about how he thinks that he probably has more athletic gifts than he did. Uh, Daniel, explain to us the Tyler Johnson thing, because I see character issues pop up, but I don't know what exactly those are supposed to be. There's no one who's put any sort of name to these, quote, character issues with Tyler Johnson. And all I saw from him over the last two years is him whipping people. <laughs> I mean, going up and getting it, getting separation off the line of scrimmage. Everything that you would want from a receiver that gets drafted in maybe the second or third round because, of course, he doesn't have that four three forty type of speed. But somebody who's put up those type of numbers against very good competition in the Big Ten you would think that his draft stock would be pretty high, but it seems like he's going under the radar. And also, yes, everyone drafts him in the fifth round in draft sims. <laughs> everyone around the program is super confused about the character thing because there's really no red flags there. On it. It's just something that seemed to get created. But when you watch Tyler on the field, you just see a guy that's a, a supreme route runner. I mean, especially in the short to intermediate game. And I don't think he gets enough credit for his, his vertical releases either. I mean, P.J. Fleck talked at length about the progression of Tyler from when he first arrived to the end of his career and how he consistently improved the smaller details of, a, of his game. And I think when you draft a receiver from the Fleck, Matt Simon system, you know you're getting someone who's polished in terms of route running, footwork, overall technique. He can come out of the slot. He can play on the outside. He's got some versatility. Each year he's really added a new element to his game. I think he really made a difference in the red zone, too, for a guy that doesn't have above average size, I mean, he's got he's got the vertical jump ability. You saw that in his basketball film when he played at Minneapolis North. But when the Gophers really needed a play, they were just turning to him. And I, I think the biggest question has been overall speed. And we didn't get to see what his, his testing number was for the 40. But even with that in mind, the player I'd comp him to is Mohamed Sanu. I think their skill sets are really similar. PJ actually coached both of them. Although Tyler didn't run at the combine, I think uh, I would anticipate their numbers are pretty similar. But, yeah, the, the Tyler Johnson just makes plays, and that's all he did when he was at Minnesota. Yeah, good, good kid, too. That I, I am surprised to hear that there would be character concerns about him because we certainly didn't see that, uh, Daniel. So the one thing about Tyler that would concern me if I was a scout is very simple. He is prone to make a catch like he did in the bowl game where you say to yourself, my God, he caught that, and he's and he can be prone to drop passes he shouldn't. 
Beyond that, and the other thing, and this is, guys, completely not fair, but the other thing that Tyler Johnson was the victim of a little bit in 2019 was he played beside Bateman, and Bateman might be, I think Bateman, if he continues, and there's football this fall, I think that kid is a top 10 pick. So, but if Tyler, if Tyler can hang on to the easy passes consistently, then I think he is definitely a good guy to, uh, for a team to pick. Yeah, there were some games where there were some concentration drops. I remember the South Dakota State one standing out and a few others scattered throughout. I thought he was better in that category this year, but his junior year, there were definitely some of those drops that lingered in his game. Uh, Daniel, at the beginning of the season, Carter Coughlin was getting talked about as a guy who could have a pretty high draft stock, but now it seems like he's a late-round pick. Uh, what happened there with the drop in production and and his draft stock overall? I mean, it's always hard to predict who's going to be from the beginning of the year to the end. Uh, once upon a time, Mitch Leidner was a first-round prospect, as we all know. That is that's Todd a, McShay was smoking that, something the night before that, he did that mock. That that's a a, a deep cut turbo snark there. But uh, is is there another player from the Gophers who does have uh, some intriguing draft stock? Uh, you know, in the upcoming draft here. Well, with Carter Coughlin, I think it's really interesting him as a prospect because he falls between a lot of different positional profiles. So based upon high school testing, I had I had a hunch he test well but he shattered expectations. I mean, finishing with a 9.81 relative athletic score out of 10. Uh, NFL, I think he's probably an off-ball linebacker, and I think that's some of what the production uh, issues were maybe this year. He he fits the 3-4 the hybrid linebacker role mm-hmm. more than he does as a rush end. Uh, I could even see a team playing him at 4-3 outside linebacker, maybe investing in him and developing a little bit more as because of his range, his speed, uh, his, his skills potentially as a rusher and blitzer, and he could help on special teams. Two other guys to keep an eye on, Kamal Martin. Uh, his stock's probably uh, not as good because he didn't have the opportunity to work out. He interviewed at the Senior Bowl and the Scouting Combine, but didn't have the opportunity to participate in a pro day. So nonetheless, like his skills as a blitzer, was a big part of the Gophers' defense. Uh, Joe Ross used him pretty creatively. Uh, so we'll see it where he falls, maybe a late-round guy. But the name to keep an eye on is Chris Williamson. I, I think he's one of the more underrated players out of the draft-eligible prospects. He transferred here from Florida. Last two years was really tasked with covering some of the best and most dynamic receivers that they played. Uh, the schemes against Rondell Moore and K.J. Hamler really heavily emphasized Williamson. Didn't get a combine invite, but made a really strong impression at the East-West Shrine game. So I keep an eye on him. Teams will really like him as kind of a hybrid DB in a dime package, maybe you know because he has the, the movement skills of a DB, but the, the physicality kind of of a linebacker. Not be to, uh, not to be mistaken with Corliss Williamson, who played for the Sacramento Kings. That is a you grew up in the '90s joke, uh, Daniel. Sorry. So um, <laughs> b- before I let you go, Daniel, I'm sure you've been draft simming uh, your face off over there as well. Uh, what what direction do you like to go with the Vikings draft? Because we've been talking about you know they could play to their strengths on offense and add to the receiving core, add to the offensive line. They could fill positions on defense. What do you think fits best with this draft? Well, I almost think you have to go with a corner early because of the way that everything worked out this offseason with Mac and Trey gone. You probably invest in one of, the, one of those corners early on. And then you're looking at offensive line. I mean, you see all the guys that they've been looking into with Wirfs and maybe Josh Jones slides down. I've seen some of that in my sims. I'd rather see them maybe wait on the receiver until later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Van Jefferson's a guy I like from Florida. Really great route runner. 
uh, fits what the Vikings are looking to do in their offense. I almost prioritize when you look at the Vikings' offense, they're, they're, they're not relying on the receivers as much. You know, they're playing 12 personnel with two tight ends quite frequently. So, I mean, you're just looking for, you know, another guy to compliment Thielen. And if you can get a route runner like Van Jefferson later on, I just think in this historic wide receiver class, there's options uh, later on rather than investing early unless you really fall in love with someone in round one and want to maybe move up with the trade ammo that you possibly have. Football. Football. Very football Daniel House uh, covers the Gophers for us here. You could follow him on Twitter at, what is it, Daniel House NFL is uh, Daniel on Twitter. So great stuff, Daniel. And uh, keep draft simming. I know you do a lot of work with the NFL draft, as people could probably tell. So keep it up and stay safe, my friend. Hey, stay safe. Thanks for having me. Yep, for sure. Daniel House there. Um, while we were talking, an interesting article from our friend Tom Pelissero posted a long interview with Everson Griffin, who acknowledges that during the 2018 season, he was in a sober house for several months when he went away from the Vikings during the 2018 season. Mm -hmm. And the article that, you know, I was, I've been trying to just buzz through here while we were talking. um, it, It focuses on him and what he went through during that 2018 incident and talks about his uh, emotional distress and different things that he was going through at that time. So he says that he lived in a sober house for three months from October till pretty much the end of the season. And he said it was like living in college. He had a roommate and went to meetings and things like that uh, as part of his recovery to reset his life. And this is by far, Tom Palacero's report, the most information we've gotten about what Everson was going through, mm-hmm. the Vikings were very vague about it. Everson Griffin was very vague about it. And now, with him being a free agent, and I'm sure that many teams have questions about what happened there because they don't want it to happen again, he wants it out. making it very public. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, so when he did his initial press conferences after he came back, what did he tell you at that time? Largely focused on just moving forward and like resetting, which is kind of what he talks about in here, but stayed away from a lot of details, just saying that he was in a better place and he feels good now about where his life is going and avoided getting this deep into what happened during the 2018 season. And uh, really, really fascinating read Tom Pelissero put it out on his Twitter page just a couple of minutes ago, and it's on NFL.com if you want to listen to it. And I haven't had a chance because it's it's a couple thousand words long to pour into every detail of this, but it sounds like Everson Griffin was in a really, really difficult place in his life in order to yeah. have to go through that. Which we sort, which we knew that, that he was in a really dark and probably a bad place at that time, but until today... We were essentially left to guess as to what transpired there. Because, you know, the, the whole thing with him being, what, at a hotel in downtown and going down and threat, right, he threatened the the personnel at the hotel and then he went out west to his home and I think Excelsior. So that this is intriguing that he would now talk about it. But it does make sense because he can't go fly to see teams. Right. That he would open up probably as much as possible now so that teams at least can go into you know, if they talk to him on Skype or Zoom with an idea of what he's done 
to uh, come back from that. Yeah, that's right. Now, uh, it says here that, um, well, Griffin admitted to using cannabis that week that he had kind of the, I don't know what you want to call it, but um, a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, chemical dependency was not diagnosed as part of it, his agent said, uh, but he was asked to stop from drinking or using any other drugs while he was at this place. And, and basically they said that it was unresolved emotional distress that he was dealing with and a lack of healthy coping skills is, is what he was going through. So okay. some pretty serious stuff from Everson Griffin and remarkable how he bounced back last year. He was a dominant player, especially the first half of the season. And I brought it up earlier on the show, Judd, but I don't think that your idea about the potential for him to return to the Vikings should be completely counted out, even though he announced on Instagram that he's not coming back because this right here, it's pretty clear he just wanted to get it all out in the air as opposed to having to answer a million questions right. every, every time, um, you know, every time he has to make a phone call for a team or his agent. His agent probably told him, look, everyone wants to know. So why don't we just put this out there so everyone can know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and he is. So the one thing that might make sense about him coming back in 2020 now to me here is is his support system is here, right? Yep. And. Ordinarily, it might be embarrassing to go back, but now, given the circumstances, really, you know what? Bar just, things bar are different. Last year. Yeah. Well, and you can't, it's not like he can hop on a plane this week and go see the Seahawks and right. Eagles, right? Yeah. So if you go back to a place on a one year contract to people that know you, to people that like you, and it, that might be it, but it still makes sense from both sides' perspective. If the contract is one that the Vikings can fit comfortably below their cap, which obviously is not a lot of money. Another part of this, too, is that uh, when you look at, um, and I was trying to pull up my free agent list here that I had just up, but the the free agent list still has some pass rushers on it. Clowney's still on it, right? Well, Clowney, of course, is still on it, but, but there's other guys, too, that are solid pass rushers that are still available in free agency. And so the market for Everson Griffin might not be anywhere near as high as he thought it was going to be. When someone like Adrian Claiborne just signed, I made a list and put it on our website of guys that could replace Everson Griffin. And there's still to go along with Clowney. There's uh, Cameron Wake is older, of course, but still good. Marcus Golden had double digit sacks last year. Can't find a job. Terrell Suggs can still play. Vinny Curry, we know from the, Eagles is very good. Mm-hmm. Michael Bennett is a very good player. He's still out there. So if none of these guys are getting big contracts that they want, it might be a possibility that Everson Griffin doesn't either. Just take the deal. you got to love the Corliss Williamson drop, though. Well, you got it. Daniel House oh, yeah, no thought, idea. No thought idea. that you were from Mars. Yeah. yeah. Corliss what, what was his nickname? I'm going to find this. He had a nickname. And I thought he played Big a, Nasty. Big Nasty, yeah. I told you. I saw him play. <laughs> big Nasty. Against the Wolves. And, yeah, yeah, Big Nasty. He, he played at Arkansas, is that right? Six foot seven, Where 245 pounds. He did play it at Arkansas. Yep. Look at that. I'm Mr. Basketball That's now. That's really good. Huh? First round Take draft that, Jonathan. Pick. Yeah, how about that? Take that, Jonathan Take all the Corliss Williamson facts. Oh, Take that, I'm just, Jonathan. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm Mr. <laughs> basketball now. Huh? Huh? Never doubted you, Judd. A lot of people question my basketball acumen. I'm just uh, showing you right they? there. What? Uh, not really, but it sounds no, good I to didn't say. Think so but it sounds good to say. Oh, real quick, doubters, John, not I just believers. Yeah, give you credit for this. What I do? Uh, you reported midway through the season that Stephon Diggs was not 
upset with Kirk Cousins. He didn't hate Kirk or want to run away from Kirk at a thousand miles an hour. And I think that is mostly confirmed today on a piece in the Players Tribune where Stefan Diggs wrote, Kirk was one of the first guys to text me. He was super appreciative of the time we spent together over the last couple years. And he was just encouraging, wishing me the best of luck. And it's like, what do I even say about Kirk? This is a man who invited me into his home, introduced me to his family, put in the extra hours with us. A guy who through all the ups and downs of the last couple of years, I developed a tremendous amount of appreciation and respect for. I'm definitely going to miss playing and learning from him. That was never the fundamental issue. Correct. He wanted them Zim and Coobs were the yes. fundamental issue. He wanted them to have Kirk throw him the ball more exactly. often. That was right. the deal. All right. All right, everybody. Fun week today, and we are steps closer to the draft next week. We will see you then. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 